This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County in Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, and now 89.1 in DeKalb and Sycamore covering much of central Illinois and also some of northern Illinois, and we're still in the process of trying to expand our station even more. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. I want everybody out there to remember that the programs here are brought to you by you, and without you, we wouldn't be able to operate. And all of our expansion so far and any expansion in the future will be made possible by you. So if there are anyone anyone out there who would like to make a donation, we would certainly welcome any donation that you would like to make. You can go to our website, catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com, and it will tell you there how to make a donation. It will give you a lot more information about us and what we do and about how you can get involved and help should you like to do that. So, again, we depend on you, and we're very grateful for all of our listeners out there, north and south, east and west, all of central Illinois, northern Illinois as well. Uh, The last few weeks, I think, have been very, very enjoyable. We've had a program here that's been a little bit different. Uh, Carl Winning uh, was with us, and Carl is, uh, of course, was the director of astronomy uh, at the university at one time and ran the... uh, planetarium there. Carl still is involved much uh, in around the Bloomington Normal area with the Astronomy Club, teaches at ISU and is very, very interested in science and uh, helped give us a great uh, show a couple of uh, the last couple of weekends. And I hope everyone out there enjoyed it. Uh, in fact, uh, it was so interesting. I think maybe we would like to have Carl back in the future and maybe do a little bit more on this. We, we talked about the possibility of alien influence uh, being uh, accountable for some of the things that we find in uh, Scripture and uh, maybe in religion, and I think we've sort of discounted that possibility. But there are a lot of interesting things about uh, the idea of uh, people or uh, beings from uh, somewhere else, from uh, outside of our uh, planet or maybe outside of our solar system. And there are a lot of things in the Bible also that seem to refer to things that we don't understand. And of course, there is a lot about the past that we don't know. And it is a lot of fun and very interesting to speculate on some of these things and how they might affect Christianity. And it's a topic I think that's worth uh, pursuing and talking about. So maybe we can have Carl back some other time. Uh, we pretty much ruled out star travel uh, as a possibility of aliens visiting us. The distances are so vast, and it is impossible to accelerate material anywhere near the speed of light. You know, the amount of energy it would take uh, and the acceleration you would have to have would simply rule out uh, anyone being able to live if you could do something like that, which, of course, is unlikely that ever could be done. But there are other uh, theories. There are the ideas of wormholes in space, uh, something like when you take a sheet of paper and draw a line on it between two points. If you bend that paper together, the two points suddenly coincide and you're not traveling any distance at all. Some people say space is like that in certain places and perhaps travel can be done that way. 
There's no evidence of that, of course, but it would be fun to talk about it and find out why people uh, do believe along those lines. There's also the possibility of uh, dimensional travel. Are there other dimensions besides the three dimensions that we live in? And uh, would it be possible for someone living in a different dimension to travel into our dimension somehow in and out without actually traveling any distance at all? Those are all kinds of ideas that might be explored. Uh, there are some uh, things about the Bible. There's this theory of the Nephilim, and these are uh, beings that supposedly uh, were from the fallen angels, and somehow they bred with human beings on earth and created a special race. Is there any truth or possibility to that? We touched on it, but really didn't talk about it. So there are some things that uh, we'll take up in the future, and it might be very, very interesting uh, to do. And I'm sure my wife uh, would like also to uh, be involved in, in something like that. I think she found uh, the last two weeks very, very interesting, the topics that we talked about. Is there anything you want to say further on that topic, Lynn? On the Nephilim? On, the, um, on just on the idea of what we talked about the last couple of I'd like of to weeks. have Carl come and talk to us about that uh, dimensions, How how could— we cross dimensions. That I mean, it seems to me, you know, if you're on a, we're on one plane and we only see in so many dimensions, there are others. And is that possibly how Jesus walked through walls and so forth? That's something that would that would be a possibility, I guess, to consider at least. And uh, after all, we do we were, we're aware. Of two dimensions, we're aware of a very, you know, the idea of plane geometry. In fact, when we talk about plane geometry, we're talking about a plane, a flat surface, and we can see all the geometrical figures and so forth on a flat surface. And at the same time, we're also aware of solid geometry. That is three-dimensional things such as uh, cylinders and cones and pyramids and that kind of thing that have uh, more, they're not just flat, but they, they, you know, they take three-dimensional shape. We're very aware of those two dimensions, and we can see how uh, you can move from one to another. But at the same time, is there like a fifth dimension uh, that we, you know, that we are not aware of and that somehow or another we can't conceive or picture it really in our minds, and would it be possible, you know, if someone lived in a second dimension, for example, they probably couldn't imagine uh, the, the third dimension, which is so apparent to us. So those are things to talk about and possibilities, and it might be a lot of fun to do that sometime in the future. Don't you think? Yeah, I do. I do. And I'd like to sometime in the future maybe uh, explore the idea of life after death how people have had near-death experiences and have come back, you know, and been revived and come back and have explained their experience. I don't really, you know, know where we would turn for some authority on that. I'm going to have to look into that. We'll have to do a little study on that. And uh, I think uh, on the dimensional, we can ask Carl if there's anything that he, he does know about that or maybe he knows some people that do know because uh, I've, I've heard uh, theories along those lines. But it would be interesting topics to bring up in the future, and uh, so we'll do that. Uh, for today's show, uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about uh, some of the current uh, topics that, you know, that are going on 
in our country now and having a great effect on our society and how they relate to religion. And so uh, the topic uh, I want to discuss today is uh, taken from uh, the First Things magazine, and uh, it's uh, in the December 2021 issue, and uh, it's an uh, article uh, the pu- in, in the public square section of that magazine and by the editor of the magazine, R.R. R. Reno. And uh, the, the title I'm giving to this is uh, Leadership, uh, Crisis, and Hope. Again, that's Leadership, Crisis, and Hope. And uh, as R.R. R. Reno points out, we are having a crisis of leadership in this country uh, on all sides of the spectrum. And I want to read from his article and talk a little bit about that. And then the reason that we have hope and how that hope actually relates to faith and uh, how uh, leadership without faith is uh, going down the wrong path and actually leading us into either bad, not only a lack of leadership, but actually bad leadership uh, at that. So let's go ahead and uh, read from that article and see if we can shed some light on some of the things uh, that are making our society uh, today so full of tension and uh, animosity, it seems like, and uh, groups of people squared off against each other and what uh, they hope uh, of change might be. Is there anything that you want to add to that, Lynn, before I start talking about this on this article? I think it's a very relevant topic right now, and... It should be very interesting. I haven't gotten around to reading the article, but I'm, I'm, I'll get it from you, I guess, here now. Looking forward to it. Okay, the article is entitled uh, Crisis of Legitimacy by R.R. R. Reno, and I'll start reading from it. Uh, Reno says, uh, people talk a lot about polarization. It is true that polling shows a growing partisan divide. But our rancorous political atmosphere is a symptom. It's not the cause. We are polarized because the credibility of our ruling class has eroded. A trustworthy establishment anchors society and brings stability to public life. Ours has shown itself unworthy of trust and as a consequence has lost its grip on public sentiment. Any loss of a stabilizing force at the center of society is disorienting. I recall a conversation I had in 2015 with a prominent figure in the conservative movement. Over lunch, he confessed that when it comes to conservative principles, he no longer is is sure of what he believes. He says this wasn't because his underlying beliefs and loyalties had changed, but because the world around him had. Looking back on the last 40 years, he concluded that the old conservative consensus was no longer working. Tens of millions of Republican voters have come to the same conclusion. They see failures, not successes. That's why Donald Trump was able to swat aside the establishment in 2016 and win the Republican nomination and then the presidency. It's why he remains a political force even after losing in 2020. Voters on the other side of the aisle are also restless. They rebelled against establishment Democrats in 2016, supporting Bernie Sanders rather than Hillary Clinton. 
In the 2018 primary, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez kneecapped a high-ranking Democrat in the House of Representatives. The extreme voices on the left have only grown louder and more influential since then. As 2021 draws to a close, there seems no end to the anger and frustration, the over-the-top rhetoric, and the extreme proposals. The fever-gripping public life continues to rise. Consider a remarkable parallel. Many people on the right have subscribed to QAnon and follow its speculations. Many more have become cynical about the power of the deep state, which they suspect now controls politics. It may be that more than half of the 74 million people who voted for Trump think our democratic system was rigged and it was against them in some way, which is why Trump's talk of a stolen election still has traction years later. Meanwhile, the New York Times promotes the 1619 Project. And this is something, I'm going to intercede here a little bit. This is something I think, Lynn, we should talk about also, the 1619 Project. Yes. And, uh, you know, how facetious the whole thing is. And, uh, you know, there are so much evidence, historical evidence, that's, that such a concept is that utter nonsense. Right. And, and, and we need to talk about that. Uh, I can't go into it right now. We don't have the time, but we certainly will. Mark that down, would you please? Mark it down that we want to talk about the 1619 Project and the fact that uh, all of the historical facts, the absolutely good historical facts, show that such a thing simply is is nonsense and it's made up and it's not true. So at any rate, I'll go on about what what Reno is saying. He said it, that is the 1619 Project, Claims about white privilege and systemic racism add up to an assertion that our system is rigged and our democracy is charade. So there are people on both sides, in effect, who are saying that our whole system is rigged. And there is evidence on both sides, you know, to lead them down along that path, even though some of the interpretations might be, you know, totally wrong. Uh, and well, they, each side is very slanted. So. That's true. And uh, each side has some, you know, positive evidence. But again, uh, there's just so much disinformation out there. And uh, it's not dif- disinformation on one side. It's disinformation that is coming uh, from some of the major sources in our society. And we need to talk about that. So according to a Gallup poll, 52% of young people in the United States profess a positive view of social- socialism. And Reno says, I do not read this as a thought-out commitment to socialist economic policies, but rather as a vote of no confidence in the status quo. Whether they manifest it in distrust of vaccines, claims about the swamp, convictions about police hostility to blacks, or talks of socialism, Americans of all stripes believe that they have been betrayed by the system. The system, of course, is organized and run by a ruling class. This group sets priorities, establishes standards, and heads institutions. Every society needs a ruling class. It gains legitimacy when the many who are governed trust the few who do the governing. And that's just the case uh, with government itself. I mean, there has to be somebody in leadership, and the people have to trust that leadership, or any governed body loses stability. 
So feelings of betrayal undermine this trust. When those feelings become strong enough, the entire system loses legitimacy. Ignorant pundits mindlessly repeat partisan talking points. Cynical media personalities sell advertising by stoking anger and outrage. But these drivers of polarization are actually at the fringes. At root, we are experiencing a broad bipartisan rejection of responsible leadership. This rejection explains today's political turmoil. We live in a rich and powerful country founded on noble ideals. Why would anyone feel shortchanged? That was pretty much the sentiment expressed in Bill Clinton's valedictory State of the Union address delivered in 2000. Never before, he exalted, has our nation enjoyed at once so much prosperity and social progress with so little internal crisis and so few external threats. Clinton's cheery self-congratulation expressed a bipartisan, black-slapping consensus. It actually remains alive in well-insulated circles even today. With hindsight, we can see that it was almost entirely unmerited. Clinton's election in 1992 inaugurated baby boomer boomer leadership. Sad to say, this generation, of which I, that is Reno, am a trailing member, and it has careened from disaster to disaster. We're going to go ahead and stop here. We're coming up on a break, so stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Have you given any thought as to what you can do to enrich your Lenten journey this year? Consider joining Catholic Spirit Radio for a Lenten pilgrimage on March 12th. This one-day trip includes a visit to the Monastery of the Brothers of St. John in Princeville and the Peoria Fulton Sheen Tomb and Museum. For more details of this inspiring Lenten opportunity, go to catholicspiritradio.com. Register right away as seats are limited. Catholic Spirit Radio welcomes our newest listeners in DeKalb County, Illinois. Our acquisition of FM translator W206CE was made possible by the generosity of Catholic Spirit Radio supporters in central Illinois. We hope our programming helps you to develop a mature understanding of your Catholic faith. We welcome the communities of DeKalb, Sycamore, and areas beyond to our family of listeners and supporters. May God bless you for listening. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break. We're talking about a crisis of leadership. And also, we're going to talk about hope for a change. And uh, it's taken from an article by R.R. Reno in the December issue of 2021 of Crisis Magazine. And uh, the title of the article is uh, Crisis of Legitimacy. And it's in the back section of the magazine, what uh, is called the Public Square. And R.R. Uh, Reno is the editor of uh, First Things, and he's giving his opinion on the uh, division in our country and some of the things that are causing it. Uh, at any rate, he's talking here, we're going into uh, foreign policy, 
And he's talking about things that divide us and uh, why uh, people feel betrayed in general. And there is a crisis of leadership. And he says about our foreign policy, he says, after victory in the Cold War, the United States enjoyed a position of global dominance, not seen since the heyday of the Roman Empire. Over the last 30 years, that dominance has been squandered. And I think that's apparent for all of us to see. We have been involved in in all kinds of crises and uh, wars and other things that simply have dribbled away a lot of our power and a lot of our money uh, and have not really been resolved or resolved anything. And uh, it's, you know, a nation as strong as we are, Reno is saying, it seems that it has to be a crisis of leadership that is causing a lot of this. He says, trillions of dollars and thousands of lives were expended on failed wars in the Middle East. Our economic engagement with China was meant to develop that country and bring it into a global system overseen by American power. We now know that this policy was naive and has failed. Today, our largest companies kowtow to the Chinese Communist Party, and our professional sport leagues do Chairman Xi's bidding. And, of course, this has been a disappointment. There was so much of a belief on the uh, free marketeers, uh, a lot on the right and on the part of the libertarians, that somehow trade and free trade would uh, unify countries, bring them together, and bring uh, backward or more authoritarian companies, such as uh, countries such as China, into the modern world and democratize them. And this has been one of the things that has been a general failure, the idea of uh, bringing a lot of the non-democratic world into the democratic world. And the operating of the market was one of the things that was supposed to do that. And uh, in China's case, uh, they became a very strong market country, but nevertheless, they are as autocratic and authoritarian as they were before. And uh, Reno goes on to say, I recently had lunch with a friend who is the CEO of a mid-sized financial firm. He told me that I would be shocked to know how many major players on Wall Street are beholden to the Chinese Communist Party. Again, this idea that we were going to look to business and uh, markets somehow to uh, bring the world in, you know, into the, to the modern democratic uh, idea of progress and uh, freedom. Uh, and it's been a very, very strong disappointment. He says, uh, he goes on, he says, Meanwhile, the tech industry is dependent on China. Hollywood won't make movies that might run afoul of the priorities of the Chinese government. Ordinary people do not have the expert knowledge about the workings of our globalized economy, but they're not stupid. They can see that the economic interests of those who play leading roles in our country now diverge from their own interests, that is, the people's own interests. A fitting word for this divergence is betrayal. After all, it is the first job of a responsible ruling class to keep sources of wealth and power aligned with the needs and concerns of ordinary citizens. And boy, I'll tell you, I certainly feel that, and I know my wife certainly feels that, that the ordinary citizens and their needs in this country are not only being neglected, it seems as if there's almost a, sort of a, a hostility toward the needs of the ordinary citizens. Indeed. 
we, you know, the selling out to or being beholden to China is not only in business, it's in government too. It seems to pervade, and, and other things seem to pervade. It just seems like uh, the ordinary citizens are considered somehow or another uh, the, the the great unwashed, the great basket of deplorables you know, to, to be treated yes, somehow. Hillary. Right, to be treated somehow as a, as a persona non grata. And even in our economic policy, he goes on to talk, our uh, Reno here, he says, Bill Clinton was born in 1946. Economic data show that his generation had a more than 80% chance of making more money at age 30 than their parents made at the same age. This is the American dream to do better and get ahead. You know, to that this is what uh, people have wanted for their children, that they should get ahead and do better than they themselves did. But something bad happened. After the 1970s, the trend line dipped severely. A person born in 1991 will turn 30 this year. He has a less than 50% chance of making more than his parents did at age 30. A supermajority of baby boomers have done better than their parents, while half of today's young will do worse than their parents did. This trend does not apply, however, to children of the elite. And I think this is causing a huge gap in our country. People understand and know this. They might not know how all of ever all of this works, but they understand that they feel they're being betrayed, and they can see betrayed, and they can see that there's a different class of people in this country who are somehow getting the benefit of everything that's going on and leaving themselves, that is, the ordinary people, out. Uh, the last forty years have not been decades of gross uh, domestic product decline. On the contrary, our economy has grown. In 2019, unemployment was at record lows. Entire new industries emerged and produced great wealth. Amazon, Google, and Facebook stand astride the globe. How is it possible that things can be so good while half the country is worse off? Again, the word betrayal comes to mind. People grasp this and understand this, even if they don't know all the details. And then our cultural policy, feminism, gay rights, more immigration, diversity, multiculturalism, tolerance. These words evoke the post-1960s baby boomer ambition to make our society less censorious and conformist, more open and inclusive. Boomers have largely achieved these goals, but they have done so at great cost. In 1960, 8% of births were illegitimate. Notice here that I'm supposed to say out of wedlock, because illegitimate is a judgmental word. Again, I'm going to bring in here my own idea. We need to talk about that as well. This idea of being non-judgmental is uh, something that needs to be addressed as well. Uh, and also what is happening to our language. Exactly. The Catholic Church teaches that we don't judge immortality. We don't judge the immortal soul. But it certainly doesn't teach that we should not judge the here and the now, the temporal. There's a difference between the temporal and the, the, uh, the, the, the immortal. And so in temporal society, we do need to judge behavior and decide what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, 
and uh, reject uh, bad behavior and, and uh, support the good. So that's something that you might want to write down, Lynn, over there and make sure that we talk about. So these are some things we're going to talk about for the new year. Today, the rate is 40%. Uh, in other words, 40% out of wedlock or 40% illegitimate. Liberalization of laws in the 1970s led to dramatic increases in divorce. Today, divorce is somewhat less common, but that's only because fewer people are getting married in the first place. Marriage, the very thing that holds families together and builds a society, has been downgraded and uh, attacked in, in various ways. These things need to be addressed. And divorce is one of the major causes of the the uh, watering down and lessening of marriage. And then, of course, that leads to other things, and that is the whole idea of uh, the so-called same-sex marriage and other things that are not marriages at all need to be addressed. Those hurt the very building blocks of society. And he goes, Yet, as Charles Murray, Murray has documented, the destructive trends in family life do not characterize the upper classes. A neo-traditional ethic holds firm for people at the top, even as they promote the next stages of liberation, which will further disintegrate social norms. In other words, elites are actually exempting themselves from all of these radical changes. They expect their own children and themselves to live an entirely different type of life than they set and expect for ordinary citizens. Uh, you can see this even with the big tech uh, people who promote uh, the iPhones and all of the technology and so forth. They're very strict about uh, their own children using that technology or misusing that technology. Moral deregulation does most of its damage to middle class and working class Americans. And people are beginning to see this. And again, it screams betrayal. If your mother has only a high school diploma and you were born in 2021, the odds against your being raised in an intact home are high. A similar class divide can be seen in chronic unemployment, lack of social involvement, and substance abuse. Our leadership class has worked overtime to liberalize attitudes, even to the point of enforcing a punitive political correctness. The well-educated and well-off have the resources and the resilience to navigate a new cultural landscape. Ordinary people don't. The less fortunate are then shipwrecked. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, nearly 100,000 people died from drug overdoses in 2020. It is telling that our policy response to COVID-19 was to shut down the country and spend trillions of dollars to ease the damage. <clears throat> Meanwhile, our policy response to 100,000 dead from drug overdose, an epidemic that has killed nearly a million people since 1999, has been to legalize marijuana. <laughs> it's, and again, we can see this in the lack of control of our border. I mean, people are pouring across our southern border, and with them are coming tons and tons of lethal drugs, fentanyl, and other drugs that are destroying a lot of our younger people who are, don't have the resources to resist a lot of this stuff. And uh, again, people are beginning to understand this, and they're feeling betrayed. 
In 2012, the Republican candidates for president described nearly half the country as takers. In 2016, the Democratic candidate relegated half the country to a basket of deplorables. So, I mean, there has been name-calling on both sides. These comments were political uh, mistakes. It's never wise to insult the the electorate, but the comments were also very revealing. At this juncture, a bipartisan consensus obtains in our ruling class. The rich and powerful believe that we live in a degraded and broken country filled with a dependent and dysfunctional people, and they're not concerned that it may be their leadership that is contributing to a lot of it. It's interesting to note that angry voters agree. They just differ about whom to blame for all the all-too-real and very deep problems facing our country. And I submit that ordinary people, not the well-credentialed people running things, have the more accurate political philosophy. They see that a country becomes deindustrialized, degraded, and dysfunctional because its ruling class has failed. Put simply, a fish rots from the head down. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and if you don't believe that, walk the walk the beach of our yes, river, son. Yes. <laughs> I grew up as a kid along the Illinois River and along some of its backwaters, and we fished down there a lot. And uh, we walked along uh, the shores of the backwaters with the and back in those days with our rifles and so forth, plinking at cans and having a good time. No one thought anything of it. In fact, we could walk back back and forth through town carrying our rifles or shotguns to go hunting or go out target shooting or whatever the case might be, and no one bothered us. And uh, there wasn't anybody attacking and killing people. But at the same time, we learned a lot. And I can remember seeing, you know, the dead fish, uh, most of them uh, carp and buffalo and a lot of the rough fish and so forth. But I that, do too, and I can tell you, they stink. Yeah. And they do, but that image is so correct. I mean, they rot from the head down, and the head is gone first. And that's exactly uh, what this article is saying, is that uh, when a country goes bad, it, it usually rots from the head. That is, the leadership in our country needs to be addressed. Right. Uh, there seems to be a lot of corruption in our leadership, and that needs to be explored. There's something needs to be done about it, but I don't know what ordinary people can do. Well, it's just like an army needs tremendous, you know, the officers, good officers are extremely important to an army. Without good officers, an army can't function. You have to have leadership. The rest of the uh, army has to be able to function uh, efficiently and function together and do things at the right time. For that, you need tremendously good leadership, tremendously good officers. Uh, The Army knew that, or at least used to know that. We're even finding uh, in our military that there's this emphasis on all kinds of other things other than training people for combat. One of the most important things for combat is having good leadership, and you need good leadership in government. I mean, we're not going to be without government. Government is uh, this idea that somehow or another you can have an anarchical society, the libertarian idea that you can reduce government or to almost nothing or have no government. That hasn't happened anywhere. And so you're either going to have good government or you're going to have poor government. And good government is based on good leadership. And, of course, good leadership doesn't just uh, stem from some kind of uh, intellectual idea. 
it stems also from the kind of morals and the kind of faith that people hold. And this is where it's so important to take a look at the West and see that much of its structure did not come from simply academic uh, ideas, uh, the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. Its structure came from the morality it held, and that came from religion, and that religion was Christianity, and that Christianity at one time was the uniform Catholic Church. And so that's where being Catholic comes in, and uh, we will go from there. So at this point, uh, I'm going to stop here. We're talking about the uh, dysfunctions and the problems we're having in leadership, and I'd like to do uh, the the last half of this article about uh, faith's crucial role and the idea of hope for the future. So we're not just talking about despair or crisis. We're also talking about hope. So we're going to stop here and take a break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Catholic Spirit Radio welcomes our newest listeners into Kalb County, Illinois. Our acquisition of FM translator W206CE was made possible by the generosity of Catholic Spirit Radio supporters in Central Illinois. We hope our programming helps you to develop a mature understanding of your Catholic faith. We welcome the communities of DeKalb, Sycamore, and areas beyond to our family of listeners and supporters. May God bless you for listening. Have you given any thought as to what you can do to enrich your Lenten journey this year? Consider joining Catholic Spirit Radio for a Lenten pilgrimage on March 12th. This one-day trip includes a visit to the monastery of the Brothers of St. John in Princeville and the Peoria Fulton Sheen Tomb and Museum. For more details of this inspiring Lenten opportunity, go to catholicspiritradio.com. Register right away as seats are limited. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break. We've been talking about a lack of leadership in our country. Uh, We're talking about a crisis in leadership and hope for the future. And so I want to read from the second part of this article. And uh, the title of that is Faith's Crucial Role. And uh, what uh, R.R. Reno is talking about here is hope. And again, this is being taken from First Things, uh, a magazine, uh, you know, of faith. And uh, the article is from the December uh, 2021 issue. And uh, it's in the back part of the the magazine uh, called The Public Square. And again, I'll read here, R.R. Reno, Faith's Crucial Role. He says, crisis is Greek for crisis. And he's and the, 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 what, what he means here is that crisis, K-R-I-S-I-S, it spelled crisis in that, in that sense, is Greek for crisis, that is our English word, C-R-I-S-I-S. And he said, a straightforward transliteration. Today, when the word is so frequently used, it's worth going back to the original meaning in the New Testament. Our Bibles consistently translate crisis, with the K, as judgment. It may also be translated as turning point. Both meanings are apt. Today, we sense that the old truths aren't true anymore. We face hard decisions, 
which will set the agenda for the coming decades, not just in the United States, but throughout the West. We can't just keep kicking the can down the road. And boy, I'll tell you, that's what the politicians seem to have uh, done and seem to still be doing. And that is why things are getting worse and worse, because everybody is somehow or another expecting someone else down the line to make the hard decisions that will take care of these problems and avoid the decisions right now that need to be done to take care of the problems before they get worse. Decisions, another word you another word used to translate crisis must be made. Our failed ruling class compounds our problems. We can't just look to the good and responsible people for guidance. How can we trust the foreign policy establishment that squandered so much blood and treasure? How can we trust the billionaires who have prospered from globalization while ordinary Americans fell behind? How can we trust professors who have concocted gender theory, critical race theory, and other conceptions that set us against not only nature, but each other? But I'm not without hope. And so we're saying that here as well, uh, aren't we, Lynn? That we are not without hope. He goes on. No, you can't. Please don't be without hope. That's the only thing we have left is hope. We always have hope. And and, and as Catholics, uh, the idea is that we must not despair. Uh, That's the one thing that we're not allowed to do. We have to offer our suffering up and always place our hope and trust in God and the future. I am convinced, Reno goes on, that people of faith, unlike many of our secular counterparts, are well positioned to face this crisis. And our secular counterparts are not. It isn't a lack of knowledge, it's a lack of faith and a lack of uh, un- the understandings and underpinnings of Christianity that our country is suffering from. He goes on, he says, why my confidence? During the last 40 years, it has been very good to be well-educated, securely placed, and handsomely compensated. Why wouldn't our leadership class want to ignore the current problems? and work overtime to keep the current system in place. And anymore, with a lot of tremendous corruption, uh, more and more of this leadership are more and more well-off materially. Is it any wonder that they try to hang on to this in spite of the fact of the problems that it's causing? Some people of faith are part of the leadership class. Others Others of us work for or minister to them. We, too, are often blinded by old truths and captive to self-interest. In the 2000s, I supported the Iraq War. I was naive about China and the effects of globalization. But we are not unmanned. Our faith trains us to face reality. And a lot of us were. A lot of us were probably looking at these things as something that we could handle easily, and all we have to do is go in and democratize another country and trade with China and free trade and all of that, and everything will be come out well, and it didn't happen. Through my fault, through my fault, through my own grievous fault, Catholics should be grateful for the recent retranslation of the liturgy, which restored a fullness of gravity to the act of contrition. Other religious traditions have similar liturgies of repentance. It is very difficult for a ruling class to admit its failures. 
successful people are often told how wonderful they are. Expert, creative, innovative, social scientists report declines in life expectancy, a shocking development for a wealthy country like our own. And our ruling class scratches its head for a brief moment and then moves on. And isn't that what we find anymore about our ruling class? Every time there are huge mistakes made, we have this move on organization, move on.com or whatever it is, is let's move on. Let's forget this. Let's put it behind us. No, it's time to deal with the fact that what what are the causes of all of these things going wrong? So Reno goes on. And he says, I put before you this proposition. It will fall to people of faith to lead the way in a much-needed collective examination of confidence. And we as Catholics have to remember that. And and the the best way to understand and express our faith, and I've said it before over and over again, if you want to be radical and lead society back, then be orthodox. Catholics and Catholicism have a solution. Catholic Orthodoxy built Western civilization, and it won't stand without that foundation. And if you want to be effective, be Orthodox. I'll say it again. Be Orthodox. It's something to fall back on. It's reliable. It worked, and it will work again. Another source, Reno says, of of my confidence comes from the substance of our traditions, And again, that's the emphasis in Catholicism is tradition. It's what's been handed down to us from Jesus Christ to the apostles and from the apostles to their successors and on down to us today. He goes on, he says, Today's troubles and turmoil are best described as a crisis of solidarity. Those at the top of society now have economic interests in China and continued globalization interests not shared by their countrymen, and that has to end. The well-off also benefit from large-scale immigration. It provides cheap labor and lets our leaders ignore the festering dysfunction of native-born Americans at the lower end of the social scale. And the upper echelons have the resources to opt out of failed public schools and of our increasingly crude public culture. And that's another topic we need to address this year, Lynn, strongly, is education. So mark that down, too. That's an important thing that we need to address. The wealthy in our society are opting out of our public schools, while at the same time, they actually promote the ideas and programs that make our public schools less effective, in fact, anti-effective to the people that need them the most. And this is what's going on. He goes on, he says, Invocations of individual freedom offer little help as we grapple with this crisis. Too often they blind us to the problems we face and legitimate the temptation to opt out. But religious people bring a different tradition into American public life. The solidarity of the synagogue and church is supernatural. God has chosen his people and set them apart from the nations. In Christ, we are brothers and sisters, sharing in his most precious body and blood. This unity leavens our social and political imaginations, allowing us to see the wounds suffered by our fellow citizens and motivating us to bind them up. 
we're not going to get onto the right path without good political leadership. There's a very American tradition of suspicion of government, and it's a healthy suspicion, but it can be taken too far and it can paralyze us. At worst, this suspicion becomes an excuse not to make a decision and not to do anything. Let me put this point directly. Markets are not going to solve the problems created by bad political leadership over the last generation. So this idea of somehow or another, some kind of material process leading us out and on to the path of good government and good culture simply won't work. Nor will cultural uh, renewal. Yes, we need vibrant markets and we need cultural renewal. But a country's political future is downstream from its political past. And what I'm saying here, what I'm adding on to this, is that uh, not only is politics downstream from culture, we have to remember that culture is downstream from religion. To address our problems, we're going to need political courage, boldness, and wisdom. This brings me, Reno says, to my final source of confidence, our religious traditions, especially Catholicism, are not anti-government. We understand the limits of politics, but unlike utopians on the left, we know that politics is necessary. Let me turn the page here. It's necessary, but it's not our religion. That's true. And we know that politics won't save us. We recognize its necessity, and more than that, we honor its dignity, but it is not the be-all and end-all of what makes our society strong. Our leadership class is enamored of technocratic schemes, and it believes in the transcendent power of expertise. Too many of us imagine that we can find win-win solutions rather than make hard decisions. But the Christian life is nothing like this. Yes, we try to analyze situations accurately. We subject ideas to the testing rigor of debate. But who among us has not faced a crisis, faced a hard personal or professional decision, and turned to God in prayer? We ask him, Lord, show me the way. Give me the courage to say and do what must be said and done. Only people who have this kind of humility and courage can lead an American renewal. And again, that's so important, the idea that somehow or another everything has to be a win-win. We have this idea in the market. We can have somehow everything is win-win. We have this idea in politics. Everything can be win-win. No, it can't. There are hard decisions that have to be made. Everything is not win-win. And the people at the top realize this, and they're fooling themselves if they actually think they believe otherwise. And they know they're doing it for personal and selfish reasons. And it's important for the people at the top for us to have good leadership or the whole structure will topple. He goes on. He says, as I have traveled around our country in recent months, I've met many men and women who possess that humility and that courage, that Christian humility, that Catholic courage. Not all of them are Catholics or Christians, but all of them are religious in some way. There is no doubt in my mind that the kinds of people who read first things have a central role to play. The crisis before us calls for us to judge and calls for us to act with intelligence and also with purpose. 
let us answer as did the prophets of old, declaring, here am I. And again, the whole idea, in my opinion, is to be Orthodox Catholics, and that can be the greatest contribution to what our country needs today. And I hope this sets the trend for the coming year. And Lynn and I want to discuss a lot of the issues that we mentioned in this article because the whole article itself contains them and sets the stage for what this country has to do if it's going to turn itself around. And it has to understand that its greatness did not come simply from a declaration of independence or a constitution and did not come simply from secular and materialistic ideas, but came from the faith that the people held, which was Christianity. And that Christianity goes back 2,000 years to Catholicism and the church that was established by Jesus Christ and the tradition that it handed on and has brought down to the very present day. So these are some of the very things that we'll talk about coming up here in the future. I hope the article uh, gave us an idea of the crisis that we face, and it's not pretty, and the country is suffering, and we are on the verge of facing a enmity in the world that uh, is against us, and there has to be a way to lead through this, and that way is not going to be by the path that we have been following in the last several years. Our education system needs to be turned around and revamped. Uh, our academy, that is the arts and uh, entertainment industry, needs to be revamped, and all of that needs to be addressed from a religious point of view. It's more important than ever before, and the audience, of course, that we reach in this show being Catholic, our Catholics for the most part, and I hope we do reach a lot of others. But the point is, is that Catholics have a lot to be proud of. They have a past that goes back 2,000 years. They have a means of turning things around and rebuilding the foundations that our country and that Western civilization was built on. And the way to do that is orthodoxy. Demand orthodoxy in your churches. Demand orthodoxy from your prelates and priests. If things are going to turn around, it is not only going to be done through the Catholic uh, leadership. It's going to be done through the vocation of the people. And that is uh, the most important thing. And that, as Catholics, we have to realize and we have to do our part, and the best way to do our part is to find out what being Catholic actually is, what our orthodoxy is, what our traditions are, and to cling to them like a lifeboat and a life raft, and they will carry us through the storm and the waves if we do that. And if we turn away, then we are turning away from the very things that Jesus Christ himself gave us, and uh, when we turn away from those things, we begin to see piece by piece our society crumble. And if it's going to hold together, we have to come together. And we have to come together as Catholics. And again, that depends on the very orthodoxy that built civilization in the first place. And uh, it will not last without that foundation. But there is a tremendous amount of hope for the future, as this article, the second part of it, shows. And that's the kind of hope that Lynn and I are going to talk about. We're going to be very, very serious about addressing some of these problems. 
and uh, focusing on how serious they really are and how much damage they are doing. But we're also going to be very, very uh, adamant about presenting a workable solution and uh, pointing out that there is a path to follow and much, much hope. So I hope you've enjoyed this show. Is there anything you want to say real quick, Lynn? As long as God is in charge and rules, we have hope. As long as Christ is in heaven, God's in heaven, we have hope. We'll talk about this in the future, and we'll have some other fun things, such as we had the last few weeks uh, to to go into as well, some interesting things. And we hope we're going to have a great year. And uh, so thank you for listening to this program. We're going to have to end uh, now with our prayer, and uh, we'll do that. St. Michael, Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. battle. Be our our protection protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May May God God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, thou, Prince of the heavenly hosts, by the power power of God, God, thrust thrust into hell Satan and all all evil spirits spirits who wander through through the world world for the ruin of souls. Amen. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com. Or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio 